0: Hello and welcome to Reading Mission, a live book club podcast where we we read some of our favourite books about mission, justice and social change together. My name is Mitch and with me is Emily.
1: Hi there. We would just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and culture. So Mitch, what are we reading tonight?
0: Tonight we are reading chapter three of Darren Cronshaw's credible witness which is titled Shepherds for Settlers. So in this chapter Darren takes us to, takes the story of Australian ministry and mission out of the early convict era and out of the cities into the bush frontier. Here the image becomes The image of the shepherd becomes the central model of ministry, and we explore the Australian values of mateship, egalitarianism, and anti-authoritarianism, and explore some of the limits and blind spots of Australia's self-mythology too. Ultimately, we discuss the concept of mission as mateship, a relationship of mutual ongoing interdependence and support through thick and thin. It's a really good chapter, and I'm really excited to get stuck into it. But before we do, Emily, what's your bright spot?
1: um that my sound is working and my video is working <laughs> and i had to restart my computer twice
0: we'll take it Look, we'll take it honestly
1: discord has just not been playing nice tonight all no, for the last like two months discord likes everything yeah. else just not discord yeah so it's, i don't know which is very
0: frustrating because that's how we, you and i talk most of the time all
1: the time so I don't know, need to get that figured out. But the fact that it's here, um, I'm here and I'm on and enjoy this yeah. chapter of reading um, is, yes, where we're at. Yeah, that's, what that's one of my you? bright
0: spots as well.
1: <laughs> Excellent, I'm so glad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, my bright spot for the last couple of weeks, and this is going to be a bit dumb, but my bright spot for the last couple of weeks has been the new season of Australian Survivor.
1: Oh, I've heard it's very which good. and I, I've heard that I need to binge to catch so
0: up. so good. Yeah. It's so good. Okay. Serious question. Are you planning to binge it and catch up? Because it's I now think- three or four weeks in. Yeah, I
1: know. We're pretty far in. It's
0: a lot to catch up on, but it's not impossible. And I would have to say it's probably worth it.
1: Yeah. Okay. I've heard that too. So I think I just need to sit down on Friday and Saturday and just binge the rest of Survivor, yeah. all of Survivor for this yeah. season.
0: Yeah. Do it.
1: That will be my bright spot fantastic. next
0: time we catch up. <laughs> All right. So next time we catch up, we are going. I'm going to expect you to have caught up on Australian Survivor. And we are going to talk about that one tribal. And you are going to know the one that I mean by the time you get to it. Excellent. <laughs> I cannot wait. Incredible. So there was there was a whole you know they're advertising yeah you, know, you know they give you the preview of the upcoming episode yeah. at the end of the thing so they got to the end of the episode and they tomorrow night on Australian Survivor the biggest blockbuster tribal in Australian Survivor history and you watch it and you watch the ads and you're like oh yeah whatever you know you, they they've got to come up with something they've got to find something to sell it on no it was amazing edge of my seat. The whole time, (laughs) just incredible plays. So, at the risk of turning this into a a 20-minute Survivor retrospective podcast, because it's amazing, you are going to love watching the rivalry between George and Simon. It has been kind of like the centerpiece story for this season so far, and it is just the funniest thing, because... Now, here we get into a little bit of awkward territory, because... (laughs) It's reality TV. These are real, actual, live human beings. But also, they are edited and constructed narratives based on, you know, the, the what the producers want to create in the show. So, I'm going to engage with it as a created piece of storytelling. And no disrespect to the real-life people who played this game and, uh, <laughs> you know, created this amazing piece of media, perhaps unwittingly, through editing. George and Simon both suck so much for very different reasons, and it is so much fun watching them constantly fight.
1: (laughs) So the bit of reality TV that's been on my, like, FYP- for the last yeah. TikTok, by the way, for the last like two yeah. days has been the commitment ceremony from maths the other night. Oh, so I don't know no. why, but it came up and I just got curious. So I started clicking through more videos, which is such a rookie error. So now I've sort of got <laughs> down the clips of maths so, kind uh, of yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah. And I'm Your like, do I need to catch up on maths? They're like, yeah. no, no, I know, I know no, I don't you want to. need to catch up on
0: Survivor. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it was yeah. just, like, that commitment ceremony from on Sunday night when, like, two people left, and it was, like, wild. I was like, oh, my gosh, she is toxic. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> from the, the five-minute clip that I have seen. She sounds like... Yeah, anyway. So, yes, that's been my reality TV show that I've got a little bit of... I'm like, do I need to start watching? No, okay. Okay, I'll uh, I will binge. I will sit after I catch up with my friend for breakfast on Friday. I'll come home and binge Survivor.
0: I cannot that sounds wait. Doable. I cannot and then wait to hear Next what you Monday,
1: think. when we catch up for our devotional time,
0: <laughs> we <laughs> shall pause, pray the Bible, pray the Bible, pray, <laughs> read the Bible, possibly pray the Bible. There's lots of prayers in the Bible. We'll pray there the Bible. is. We'll
1: read a psalm for and sure. And then we'll get on
0: the real stuff and we'll talk about survivor. We do have stuff that we need to talk about tonight. So, um, you know who else got voted out of their tribe and still uh, look <laughs> you, know, you know who else got voted out to Redemption Rock and came back three days later? <laughs> Absolute youth pastor voice.
1: What <laughs> a Though. Beautiful. It doesn't. E- it doesn't even
0: work because it- we are not talking <laughs> about Jesus directly <laughs> tonight.
1: We- but you know what? I do love Mitch. A sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of rugged mountain ranges, of droughts <laughs> and flooding rains. I love her dual <laughs> horizons. I love her. Oh, her far horizons, and you'll see her beauty and her terror. The wide brown land for me.
0: So good <laughs> tonight. We are very much. We've got. There is a lot of Australian bush poetry in this chapter, oh, is what I I mean. Say. I do
1: love me some good bush poetry.
0: It's a pretty awesome place to start in terms of unpacking, particularly cultural mythology, because like this, the the bush poets are so much a part of the the founding of that mythology of you know the battler and the the rugged, um, challenging landscape and. Mm. I mean, the, the bush is one of the iconic images of Australia. Yes. Like, it's, it's one of the the many things, but, like, just so unique and so, yeah. Yeah. I've been told, and I'm not an art student by any means, I cannot paint and draw to save my life, but I've been told by people who have, like, studied painting and stuff, is, like, the bush is a nightmare to paint. Like there's just something about the Australian color palette that just makes it i think it's i think it's gum trees specifically are just nightmares to paint like they're so unique and you get you got a lot of like classically trained English painters sort of coming out to Australia and just throwing up their hands and going, "I have no idea what to do with this stupid yeah, landscape
1: absolutely, and I think that was part of it at that time of colonization as well was like. Painting Australia to send it back as like a, oh, this mm. is a place you actually want to kind of come, guys, um, mm. was really challenging because the colour palette is so different to England. Like, it's not, I mean, you know, as Dorothy McKellar talks about in um, My Country, the poem. Um, that one that you off, just recited? Yeah, that one verse of that. <laughs> the The contrast between the English. Um, verse, which is the first stanza. And then the Australian one is so different because it's talking about like the fields and the green and all of that. But then, yeah, the, the vast difference of the Australian landscape. Mm. I think I used to know all of it because we did it at school, in primary school one time.
0: That's awesome. I'm confident that I've never read the whole thing. Oh, I don't really? know that I knew that there was an English verse.
1: Yeah. So that's only like the second stanza. There's about five stanzas. Yeah. I mean, look, what else do you got to it's read? It's not all Australian for?
0: Survivor. Some of it's Australian <laughs> it's, bush poetry as well. And then
1: there's a bit of good musical theatre thrown in there too for good measure. <laughs> <enough.
0: laughs> so, let's jump into our uh, chapter for this tonight, for this fortnight. I'm going to start reading a section on page 61, if you're following along at home, and then we'll get to uh, unpacking the unique character of the Australian bush. So, quote: In the early years of Australia's convict history, sorry, I'm going to start that again. In the early years of Australia's history, convicts formed the majority of the population and became the main image of colonial culture. But in the 19th century, images of the bush frontier became dominant. In 1813, the Blue Mountains were crossed, followed by years of further exploration and settlement. Transportation of convicts ceased, and the remaining convicts completed their terms, yet Australians wondered whether they would remain convict-stained forever. The colonies cultivated a new image as a workman's paradise to attract migrants. Moreover, not all the colonies had dominance of convicts, such as in New South Wales. For example, Adelaide was colonised without convicts. Slowly but surely, Australia started to prove itself as a land of opportunity and not a fatal shore. A central part of this new and hopeful image was the bush and its workers and the mateship they expressed. Sydney writers at the end of this 19th century promoted this bush image. Tired of poverty, city monotony and such conflicts as the 1890 maritime strike, artists and writers looked to bush landscapes and idealised bush workers. For example, Banjo Patterson's invitation to dream of the visions splendid of the sunlit plains extended expressed, as Lawson put it, a God almighty longing to break away and take to the bush. Despite the city beginnings of the mythology and even today in an increasingly urbanized society, the bush is a significant part of Australian identity. The Australian bush did not prove easy to cultivate, but its unique beauty and harshness were part of its appeal for a people looking for identity apart from Europe. John Maloney relates the experience of the first white people born in Australia and how they grew to love the land to which they belonged. Not because they were given it, the land had been taken from those to whom it had belonged and been largely given to the powerful and wealthy, but because they sensed their oneness with it. In the words of Manning Clark, the new arrivals learned to look on the Australian bush with the eyes of a lover rather than that of an alien. This was reflected in art and poetry, such as Dorothea McKellar's My Country, which expressed why she had turned her back on the ordered landscape of Europe to embrace the rugged land of Australia. And Emily, this is the bit that you read before. I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. I love her far horizons. I love her jewel sea, her beauty and her terror, the wide brown land for me. End quote. So I think it's really interesting to sort of pause and consider how much the land features in um, identity of everyone in Australia, mm. both coloniser and indigenous people, but still like in really quite different ways. Um, mm. Like, yeah, I. Does this resonate with you, Emily? That the um the colonizer comes to Australia and sees you know a, a threat or something to be tamed and subdued or struggled against. Like it's a it's a dangerous, harsh, unforgiving land. Um. Whereas I think Indigenous people, and I'm I'm, you know, this is not my my culture, so I'm speaking only as an observer, but. Indigenous people have a more complex and intimate understanding of land that includes that threat because I think Australia is a dangerous um and tough country um but also this sense of nurture this this land nurtures and I think it, you know there's a familiarity piece in there the colonizer this is unfamiliar alien land where whereas indigenous cultures have had thousands of years of learning and understanding and have that intimacy mm. with the land um so it's not as terrifying you know, be- beauty and terror as Dorothy mm. McKellar says
1: Yeah absolutely um it's interesting cuz the place itself defines so much of i mean as we've been saying the mm. culture of Australia and yeah. the image and the identity of where we are and who we are. Um, yeah. And you yeah, even just, I don't know, like I think about where I live in sort of the outskirts of Northwestern Sydney and how the land and the place defines so much of the, the mythology and the identity about here um, with the history of being a place of, farming and of agriculture which is not so much the main industries here now but that's still Mm. a lot of even with young people the identity of this region um but then you sort of like go up the mountains and it's so defined like the blue mountains also so defined Mm. by its place and where you are on the mountain and how that how you relate to other places but then you go further east towards the city and it's the like, the beaches, like, so the Northern beaches or different places like that, so define mm. the people there or, mm. yeah. So it's so interesting how, like, even in, I mean, yeah, in this area still, um, how defined by the land and the country mm. it mm. is. But I even think about where I grew up as well, um, just thinking about, like, the what's called Wollumbin. So it's the probably most prominent feature in that Northern Rivers area, the, in the middle of the caldera, the mountain. Um, James Cook named it Mount Warning because it was what was seen and it's the first place to get the sign in the east in the morning and that kind of thing. Um, mm. That place is also so defined by the land and that mountain. So for the Bunjalung people, um, that is a, a sacred place, Um, where I think men would go and do rituals and probably still do, and it's sacred. Um, And for the non-Indigenous people in the area, it's also something that's quite sacred, but for different reasons. It's always looking over the river, always, I guess, over the valley, um, looking over the valley, but it's somewhere that's – it's sort of a thing where you go and climb it, or you used to. You can't climb it anymore because it's been – reserved and you're not allowed to climb it anymore, which is a good thing because it's a sacred Indigenous site. Um, mm. So it's that kind of thing as well, which is that exact same duality of the relationship between the place for Indigenous First Nations people of the Bundjalung Nation. It's a place of sacredness of Wallumbin meaning cloud catcher because when it's cloudy and overcast, it looks like it's catching the clouds. Um, right. And, but for non indigenous people it's like this place to be conquered to be climbed to summit um mm. and i think that's so much about says so much about the culture and the relationship between land and people in the yeah what it means to be australian and mm. what it means mm. to have this connection and relationship with land with country
0: yeah i think if the the central project of the book we're reading, Credible Witness, is kind of the development of an authentically Australian mission and ministry mm. model and approach. The land's going to feature. Like, mm. the land has to be a part of that. I was thinking today that kind of at the, at the end of this book, one of the questions we're going to be left with is, so what does an authentically, mission, authentically Australian mission model mean? I think it would be fun to try and unpack that, you and I, mm. based on what we've read. But my prediction is to say the land's got to be a part of it. Mm. And
1: and it's because it's just so big and broad and vast and diverse mm. as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> land forms responses to land and ways of living and ways of doing things, which in this next chapter is this um, pastoral, sheep herding, cattle grazing um, sort of bushman So I'm going to jump ahead and read our next section, starting on page 65. Quote. In the early days, Australians grew suspicious of clergy who distanced themselves and did not seem relevant or at home in the bush. The developing Australian character was distinctively down to earth with little time for phonies or those who were full of themselves. Christians and clergy had to prove themselves in the young colony. Rev. Charles Matthews wrote that Bushmen were pretty good judges of character, and many church mission- ministers did not pass their tests. Quote from Rev. Charles Matthews. He does not ask whether his parson is a high churchman. He asks whether he is a man. Is he a decent Bushman, or does he get lost every time he goes a mile or two outside of town? Could he look after his horses, or does he always want a man to put them in and take them out? Does he talk like an ordinary person, or has he got the parsonic voice? After all, uh, above all, does he seem to preach because he has to say something or because he has something to say? There is a distinct and noticeable difference between having something to say and finding opportunity to share it, and having the pres- sorry, and having the pressure of a speaking appointment and having to find <laughs> something to say. Credible witness is a nat- is natural and flows out of personal experience. Henry Lawson's The Christ of the Never tells of a sort of bush missionary up country and out back in Australia, who before he died was known from Riverina down south in New South Wales to a way up in the Never Never country in Western Queensland. Lawson describes him with compelling comparison. Quote, God's preacher of church is unheeded. God's vineyard, though barren the sod. Plain spokesman when spokesman is needed. Rough link twixt the bushman and God. By his work in the halls of the shearers, where the drinking is ghastly and grim, where the roughest and worst of his hearers have listened bareheaded to him, by his paths through the parched desolation, hot rides in the terrible tramps, by the hunger, the thirst, the privation of his work in the furthermost camps, by his worth in the light that shall search men and prove I and justify each, I place him in front of all churchmen who feel not, who know not, but preach." We'll leave that there. Um, you laughed partway through that, Emily.
1: Did I? When did I laugh?
0: You, you laughed at the end of the quote from Reverend Charles Matthews when he said, "Above all, does he seem to preach because he has got to say something, or because he has something to say?"
1: Ah, oh, I did laugh at that. <laughs> um,
0: I also thought that was very cutting and funny because
1: it's not wrong. Like, I it's know. not wrong. <laughs> We've all heard the servers where it's like someone's just trying to yeah. fill time, um, yeah. and you're like, "Yeah, is that really necessary?" Or like, "Yeah, it's sometimes like if you get, it can't you be said in ones. 20 minutes, does it really need to be said?" It's a bit of that vibe sometimes, yeah. I reckon. Um, yeah, there are some.
0: Yeah, yeah, and totally. it's not every time. No, I, know, I know what I, you mean. It's not,
1: I'm, and it, but like you can f- like uh, when yeah. you're listening to someone preach, and you can, or even I know as someone who preaches and does that kind of thing, like. I often like I can feel it when it's good, or no, no, not when it's good. Yeah. When it's spirit led and yeah. God infused, yeah. and mean. then yeah. when other times when you're like, ah, I just it was what it was, but it just didn't. Uh, but like when it's something up, I've been. I'm up
0: here because my name's on the roster, and I've got a I've got to fill fifteen minutes. Yeah, and I've got you know. Gotta quote the Bible three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just then a few I'm just points. Go home. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. three but points. When, I mean, but when yeah. something has been, I guess, sitting and marinating and contemplating and it just I don't know, and it comes together and it's cohesive and passionate and I don't know, it doesn't feel like my words as much as it does God's words or like I don't know. It's hard to explain, but like it's that thing that happens when it just feels right. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah.
1: I've
0: I've been in services where the the um, preacher has literally gone up and gone like I didn't have time to prepare anything this week. I was too busy or I was unwell or whatever. So I've just gone back in my archives and here's a sermon I prepared you know a couple of years ago. I think it's I think it's a good sermon and it's not to say it's not a good sermon. But you know I'm just going to roll that out and I'm just like, well, why? <laughs> why is it so essential that we have to have a sermon Yeah. that if you don't have time to do it, if you don't have time to authentically, you know, listen to the spirit and respond to what's going on in the world and in the church, why don't we just not have a sermon? Mm. But anyway. Here's
1: what I was going to preach on. The- you guys get together and hang out and
0: just yeah, chat, chat it out. Hey, here's, here's three questions I've had this week.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, Whatever whatever it is. And I get people but, to get up yeah, and respond
1: the, or be like, hey, yeah. what's everyone else thinking about this and have that? Because, yeah. like, that can be just as equally powerful because, like, that's just, like, the yeah. body of Christ doing the body of Christ, which is pretty 100%. cool sometimes. And you never know who's going to get up and share because you sometimes go, ooh, there you go. There yeah. you go.
0: Yeah. So not to not to troubleshoot, um, <laughs> you know, Church rosters and and things like that. That's not that's not what we're here to do. But it is just as a reminder that the the predominant image that is being kind of expressed in these these couple of quotes of kind of what a uh, a an authentic credible witness in this period of Australian history is is to to be alongside and to be a part of the everyday. And you know the the settlers and the shepherds were not looking for um you know ministers or people missionaries who could you know rattle off complex sermons and um what's the word systematic theologies and things like that they're looking for people who are in the thick of it with them uh working in the shearing sheds with them um suffering through hunger and thirst in the in the distant camps together mm. um Not separate from the lives of the people that they are attempting to reach, but part of them.
1: Mm. It was interesting as I was. So, two things. Firstly, um, Mm. it's like a bit of that tall poppy syndrome stuff coming in almost, in terms of like, we don't want. It's a bit of that of like, you kind of have to be elevated, but we don't want you to be too elevated because otherwise you're not accessible or it's not real. or it's like... I
0: don't even know that you need to be elevated in this, in this image. I think this is, this is all the way to, you need, you need to be on equal footing with us, or we're not going to listen to you.
1: Yeah, true. And how real that is? I don't know. Mm. Like, I still feel like, I mean, it probably depends on what, where you come from and your background and your kind of, that kind of thing. But, I don't know coming from Church of Christ Baptist world, it's kind of like it it's I don't know the 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 pastor the senior pastors never at least in my experience never been so unattainable, someone that you just can't like chat to after the service or mm. that kind of thing yeah. um and or I mean it's probably also the spaces I've been into, but someone that you can't you're not doing life with or that kind of thing mm. um. Mm. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, so it's just not this sort of elusive person who kind yeah. of yeah. gets rolled out every week the f- and then yeah,
0: <laughs> back yeah. away. Fly in, preach the sermon, shake your hand on the way out. Yeah. Disappear for the rest of the week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, look, we'll, we'll unpack a bit more about kind of how what are some of the implications of this approach yes, in absolutely. modern church ministry as well later in the episode but um for me i think the thing that stands out here is the the idea of that there's a solidarity in this mm-hmm. uh, approach to ministry which is um you know, i think my key way of understanding solidarity is that the the things that affect you affect me too because mm. I'm in there with you. Um, I am not insulated and protected from the thing, the the hardships. Um, I am also there to celebrate in the good things mm. with you because they're, they're good things that are happening to me. Our lives are tied up together um, and your struggles are my struggles and your liberation is my liberation. Mm. Um, I think that's, that's really powerful. You're probably going to hear a lot tonight how much of this stuff resonates with my <laughs> my approach. It's probably more than any of the um, ones that we're, the other chapters that we've yeah. done so far. Um,
1: the other bit about it yeah, it reminded me of the spiritual companionship because it's almost like coming back to that as well, mm. um, but yeah, in a definitely. different kind of context.
0: Yeah 100%. Um, yeah. This might be too fine a way to slice it, but it almost seems like the spiritual companionship is very similar kind of approach around the kitchen table
1: Mm. as opposed
0: to the workbench
1: Mm.
0: or the office desk or um, whatever it might be. I don't know that that's a helpful distinction, um, but yeah, the, the, the difference the the mateship image seems there's there's this there's this touch of working alongside mm. um, but I guess that also comes up in the chaplaincy thing mm. from last chapter as well, um, where you are literally working alongside, so i don't know i don't know if that's helpful i'm I'm not convinced that it is, but yeah. Mm. There's a new, I think, there's a nuance there, but,
1: it's,
0: but they're all emerge.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's all about. Yeah. Well,
0: it's all about being alongside, being alongside that each egalitarian lives. kind of. Yeah.
1: Which, yeah, is an interesting, interesting concept in an Australian culture and con, in 100%. Australia.
0: And I think one of one of the things this chapter does really consistently is really directly kind of look that. Yeah. In the fa- so, background. Darren puts forward, and I agree with him, that um, a couple of the, the foundational myths of Australia, as we talked about last week, last episode, sorry, um, just because something is a myth doesn't mean it's not true, but mm. it is a repeated story that we tell ourselves to understand ourselves. Um, one of the, the, the foundational myths of Australia is, you know, the fair go, egalitarianism, You know, everyone's kind of on the same page. The mateship, the mateship. Yeah, Yeah. Darren names very directly. That that is true, but has had blind spots. Mm. That is true if you are a middle class white person, heteronormative, uh, cisgender man engaged in sheep shearing and you know um, cattle grazing Mm. and stuff. Hundred percent, your experience of of Australia was. Mateship, egalitarianism. Everyone was everyone on the same gets a page. fair go. Everyone was giving everyone a fair go. Yeah. Now, if you were an immigrant, yes. if you, Well, everyone's immigrant. If you were um, a, an Asian immigrant, if you were a woman, if you were indigenous, your experience of Australia was not egalitarianism, fair go, um, and, still- and mateship. <laughs> and that persists. That's you know, we we are. Um, we are a, a, a racist country built on racist history. Mm. I think we have come a very, very long way. Yes. And that there there is a lot of work that has been really successfully done. Mm. There is still a lot of work to be done. And still happening. But, you know, we work are is a happening country and unfolding and st- as we talk. Happening and still to be done. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, we are a country that literally had policies that um, discriminated on race in immigration um, we have had stolen generations, as have many colonised countries in different mm. ways, shapes and forms. Um, you know, Australia is not a uniquely racist country, but it, uh, the, the myth of egalitarianism is true with caveats. Mm. Big, big caveats. Maybe more caveats than, it's, than truth.
1: Because we love a good um, I'm not racist, but. but
0: yes. Absolutely.
1: And like that's, that's,
0: t- that's tough. That's tough. But I think it doesn't do us any, um, any benefits to go, actually, no, Australia, you know, is perfectly egalitarian and Absolutely mateship not. is 100% true all the time.
1: It's definitely not. I just not. don't,
0: I don't think it helps us. And it's definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. Yes. Such a good ideal. Yes. It is something to strive for. It is something to work towards. But we need to recognise that if we're going to be mates, we need to be mates All the time.
1: Mates all the time all and the with time. everyone. Because, yeah, I mean, I think we see it all come out, particularly in times of crisis, natural disasters and that kind of thing. You know, like the mud armies mm. get out and clean up and- yeah in times of flood and, you know, fire and all of that kind of thing, everyone kind of wants to chip in and do their bit to get around each other. But in terms of how that plays out in the medium to longer term, sometimes people like people who have actually been affected by those crises get left behind and forgotten because it's not in the media or policy or funding isn't allocated to those places. Mm. So that's where it's like mm. in the immediate response, mateship all the way, but yeah. often people get left behind and forgotten later.
0: Yeah. Um. After yeah.
1: those times of crisis.
0: Yeah. Which is just another really good reminder to be constantly interrogating where, where does mateship start and end mm. and how much, how can we move the, <laughs> How can we continue to expand the boundaries of mateship to encompass Mm. more and more people and for longer um, periods of time? Um, So let's keep tracking through this chapter. And look, I think that's a really lovely
1: segue into this next section.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to jump ahead to page 71. Quote, Many Australians do prefer to see themselves and their fellow Australians as basically good and not particularly sinful. A preoccupation with sin, usually understood in terms of transgressing outwardly observed public public morals, reinforces unhelpful stereotypes about church leaders. Humanity is sinful, but a prior truth is that people are created in the image of God and were pronounced good in Genesis. Celtic Christianity celebrated a positive view of human nature made in the image of God rather than focusing on original sin, and this speaks to descendants of convicts like us Australians. St. Patrick looked into the heart of people and imagined what they could become, quote, What he saw convinced him of the bright side, that even slave traders can turn into liberators, even murderers can act as peacemakers, even barbarians can take their place among the nobility of heaven, End quote. The image of washing guilty stains in Christ's redeeming blood may connect with people familiar with Old Testament traditions, but needs a lot of explanation for secular Australians today. A more relevant New Testament metaphor of salvation is reconciliation, bringing about harmony and peace between entities formally divided. The truth that God invites us to make up and be on friendly terms with God and other people is good news to the Australian soul. The metaphor of being mates with God has drawbacks, but also powerful cultural connections. Paul Hogan, as Crocodile Dundee, commented, me and God, we'd be mates. Great line. In the narrow tracks of Judea, friends walked in single file and followed the leader, but John Hannaford suggested that across the wide, dusty Australian plains, Jesus would say, walk with me as friend, as well as follow me as the son of God. The mutuality of mateship might also be a helpful metaphor for mission and pastoral ministry. Pastoral leaders in training used to be taught, don't make friends with people in your church. The assumption seems to be that a certain distance was better to be maintained, to, was better to maintain a professional relationship, and that any appearance of favoritism was to be avoided, since the pastor could not be friends with everyone. However, this approach denies the mutual nature of ministry that is helpful for the well-being of pastoral leaders. A subject that has received good treatment by Australian writers, Rees maintains that mutuality of relationships is an intrinsic part of fair income ministry. Quote, we too need friendship, encouragement, guidance, and the strengthening that comes when we are open with one another, end quote. The shared difficulties and mutual dependence that give birth to mateship are part of journeying together in a church community, end quote. So I think that's really good to point out that um, this this model of shepherds and mateship and, you know, bush Christianity um, really resonates strongly with both the old Testament and new in- and new Testament images of faith and community. Um, shepherds and pastoralism are present throughout the Bible. Mm. Um, particularly, you know, the old Testament, we're, we're talking about pastoral families and families that travels together with big herds of sheep all the way back in Genesis um, and probably other animals. I don't know. Um, but also the early church seemed to have this sense of alongside um, at least in my read. There seems to be less emphasis on being part of special events and programs and projects and more of an emphasis on being good neighbours in the everyday things of life and the things that you're probably already doing. An mm. um, example that jumps out is like Paul is known to be, the Apostle Paul, known to be a, a tent maker and there are parts of the um in the book of acts where it's you know he he works alongside making tents with people who are part of the the early church as he's contributing to the health and livelihood of that uh, is it not health and life of that church um you know rather than just being doing the special activities of preaching or whatever else he's he's working and he's alongside mm.
1: Yeah, I think the bit that is interesting and I think counteracts what you're saying a little bit is this notion of um, pastors shouldn't be friends with their congregation. And, Mm. like, I absolutely agree and fully believe that with what is the main point of what Darren's saying here and all that kind of thing. But I do think... There is a, and but I think you can sometimes go too far that way, and become too when you're when you're when you're the leader or the pastor of a church or in that kind of space, you literally can't be friends with everyone because like best friends no. with everyone it's just not sustainable or no. possible.
0: It's um, not possible for a person to maintain that many deep intimate relationships. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So it's just interesting right. how, like, I guess the the base coming into it is, like, don't be friends with your congregation. You're there to do the thing and then not. But then it's, it's that finding that middle ground as well of, like, what is the relational aspect of this? Because I do actually believe that it's important for leaders in the church to know who is in the church and to know people and... Mm. But then also it's, I think, the mutuality, which we'll talk about a bit later as well, where you're also known by people too. And you might not be known intimately by everyone, and once again, absolutely okay, and that's okay. But also you need to be able to be known as well as know and who's Mm. feeding into each other in meaningful ways.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's tricky, and this is a – we will – unpack a bit more about this in just a bit actually we'll we'll jump to the next section but um you know this is a a structural challenge Mm. in the way we do church currently um and so one of our questions is in the in the quest for an authentically australian mode of mission and ministry how well do our churches reflect or not reflect or how poorly do they reflect our actual values and our goals and ideals? Because you're absolutely right. Like in a congregation of a couple of hundred people, Mm. um, a a single minister and pastor cannot be close mates with everyone. Mm. Um, You'd be able to engage in, in, a particular sense of mateship that is kind of like the the high five or the handshake when you pass and the the good day mate.
1: And also, um, I think a point where a, you a might know a little bit, but or like it's yeah. but you're not going to be deeply ingrained and integrated into every you detail of people's lives.
0: Maintain deep intimacy. No, but like being like, oh yeah, how are the kids? Or it's like just not possible. Yeah, or yeah. that thing we yeah. spoke
1: about last time. How's that going? Or how'd you go with that? Yeah. Or whatever the things are. It's yeah. like because even sometimes that's enough to be known by someone in that kind of position, remembering yeah. little bits and pieces, you
0: know? Yeah. yeah. And ideally, belonging in a church is found in the the community and not just with the pastor yes. as well. Like if, if, you're, if you're only – we talked about this um, off mic earlier, Emily, but, um, yeah, if you if your only sense of community in a church comes from your friendship with – the pastor or a couple of pastors, how well are you actually held by that community? How mm. well are you experiencing intimacy and, um, and support and uh, of, of the community mm. uh, because pastors move on mm. or they finish in their roles and step into different roles, sometimes staying in the same community. But um, you know, if the, if your church is arranged as a hub and spoke with the pastor in the middle and just, relationships past to individual, past to individual, past to the individual. If the past is gone,
1: Everything all of those
0: relationships crumble. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So let's, um, let's jump and have a bit of a look at perhaps a more, um, where we might be learning some of the lessons of mutuality. Um, so we're still on, so we're on page 72. Quote, Cross cultural missionaries are acknowledging their need for mutuality in mission. Engel and Dryness, no, Engel and Dearness argue for a changing framework of mission from a Western dominance to a network of mutual exchange. In the modern era, Western dominance opened doors and made available resources for the gospel, but also brought oppressive structures and foreign cultural values. A lot of a lot of cross-cultural mission of today is more culturally sensitive, yet mission structure continues to reflect cultural values that conflict with the gospel by facilitating a one-way flow rather than interdependence. In contrast, Paul sought to develop a worldwide network of churches characterized by love and mutual exchange. This strategy was illustrated in Paul's collection from the new believers in Macedonia and Greece for believers in Jerusalem experiencing economic hardship, like mates looking out for one another in Romans and 2 Corinthians. This sort of genuine and practical partnership lent credibility to the witness of early Christians. It facilitated the spread of the gospel and embodied its new reality. The best model for global missions in an increasingly postmodern era is a network of mutual exchange and support between multiple centres of missionary influence. In Australian lingo, it is a partnership of mates rather than a charity program from the colonisers to the needy. Missions can no longer be seen as a one-way flow of resources and personnel from the West. The The West itself is in need of mission. I, Darren, have studied with a Korean family preparing for service in Aboriginal Australia and appreciated the insights of Asian missionary colleagues. We need one another. Sri Lankan missiologist Vinoth Ramchandra appeals for mutuality within the cultural pluralism of the global church. Quote, a partnership that involves thoughtful, mutual listening among Christians from every tradition and culture within the worldwide church is indispensable for faithful and united witness to Jesus Christ end quote
1: so much about what we're about here as well at gmp embody the mutuality that
0: was exactly what i thought yeah yeah there there are there are lessons of mutuality and interdependence that gmp um i I hope this doesn't just come across like bragging it's a little bragging because i'm quite proud of what the the team at gmp is doing their approach and that's part of why I work with Embody and and GMP. Like, I I believe in the ethos. Um, You know, there are lessons here that GMP has learned and is continuing to learn about the ways of moving forward in mission and that that are much more mutual and much more of an exchange um, rather than just we have all the money, we have- well-trained missionaries and people, let's send them over to the places that don't have the things so that they can, I don't know, um, read the Bible with people and get them to pray the sinner's prayer and mission achieved. We're looking for, there's this vision in this chapter of a ministry and a mission informed by that ethos of mateship of we're in this together, we're alongside each other um, I have a lot to offer you, and you have a lot to offer me.
1: Mm.
0: Um, how do we draw out the best in one another?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, like I don't know, I feel like this is something we talk about probably every episode, if not every other episode, if not, just about every episode. um just that yeah, the mutuality and how valuable that is um mm. and and then also is that I guess that work of decolonization. Um, Mm. and maybe moving in our engagement with the spiritual, with faith, moving back Mm. towards that spiritual companionship Mm. um, and listening deeply and engaging with people that are different than ourselves to learn more, get a deeper and greater understanding of who God is and the Mm. character and heart of God, Um, Mm. Mm. which can be uncomfortable and challenging because it can feel like Mm. this is not what I knew and is it right? But just because it's different doesn't make it wrong. (laughs) Um, Mm. And...
0: Just because it's familiar doesn't make it right.
1: Absolutely. (laughs)
0: <laughs> look, if, um, if you're listening along to that and if that's, that's resonating and you're yeah, sort of interested in what that might look like in the, the mission space, we did a whole podcast series on uh, When Helping Hurts, where <laughs> a lot of this stuff was unpacked in a lot more detail and probably with a lot more um, academic rigor. If you want to pick up that book, um, more academic rigor than Emily and I are bringing to it is what I mean.
1: Um, <laughs> right now.
0: <laughs> right now, um, if you want to pick up that book and give that a read, that but there's an interesting contrast in there um, because the um, really similar core ideas this this chapter and a lot of what Darren is on about and a lot of the the you know ethos that um, is all through this book that we're reading currently um, in contrast in not in contrast in comparison with um, when helping hurts. Darren's writing brings out the uniquely Australian, Australian voice, the mateship. Yes, it feels it feels Australian, and the, and it
1: feels familiar.
0: The, and it feels familiar yes. in a way that um, when helping her Does doesn't, not. which is Absolutely. a really good yeah example of kind of what we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah.
1: and actually, it's so it's interesting. because I, I remember kind of having, having conversations we about that, and being like, "This just mm. feels really American and not quite right." I mean, and it's not yeah. wrong, like, their content's great and all of that, but there's just some bits yeah. in it where I'm just like, oh, it's so American um, in yeah. a way that is just unfamiliar and you can acknowledge because it's yeah. just culturally different. But in the same way, I reckon yeah. if someone who was American picked up this book, they'd be like, oh, man, it's so Aussie. And, like...
0: There's something a bit off. It doesn't yeah. quite
1: fit or it doesn't feel quite right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good... Um, comparison to draw, because, yeah. like, so much of this, we're like, yeah, yeah, because it's just, it feels right because it's the culture we've grown up in and what we know mm. and right. the stories that we've heard, the poetry we've listened to, the the mythology that we've grown mm. up in and through, um, and the unique, well, not particularly unique, but the, the uniquely Australian, I guess, missional Wrestles that we have to face in our own context and things that we have to face, um, mm. yeah. In how we engage, yep.
0: definitely, yeah. So to to finish us off for tonight, Emily, what? Tell me more about those wrestles. What are you going to continue thinking about from this chapter?
1: I think it's just for me. Well, I think the reflection I've kind of made maybe is. I don't know i that uh what you're talking about with the mutual community aspect of being in church and that kind of thing mm. I think i I've been reflecting the last little bit and I think I've got that, which is pretty cool in some way um mm. in great. terms of having people around me like good people um spiritual companions who yeah are people that we just do life together and it's real and it's authentic and it's honest um which is really great mm. and yeah the commitment to community and continuing to be committed in community even when it's hard um when it's not mm. straightforward and it's not easy and yeah yeah it's yeah. frustrating and, <laughs> and yeah yeah.
0: Which is the downside of solidarity expressed as mateship, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah.
1: What about yourself?
0: I think for me, a lot of very similar things um, to what you've just mentioned. But I think the thing that is really sticking with me is, and this is very typical of me, but how, yeah, you know, how do we continue to shape our churches and the the culture and the structure to form a strong understanding of mateship in our discipleship um because if we you know i love i really resonate with this vision that Darren's casting of um you know solidarity and mateship as part of um the core australian you know, the the authentically australian mode of mission and ministry um what do we need to do to make that more a part of how we understand ourselves as Christians in Australia and as Christians in our churches um, and in our communities? Um, so, very broad and non specific questions, but Classic. I think I'll we'll be interested. Yeah, I think we'll be unpacking a lot more of that in the next chapter as well. But before we talk about what's coming up, do you have a benediction of for us? Of course, I
1: have a benediction. Actually, just as a side note before we do our benediction, my Bible study life group, guys, we've started doing this little series on prayer for, like, I don't know, four weeks or something. And one of the first Mm. questions was, like, do you use pre-written prayers or have you ever? And I was like, here are my favourites. Yes, I do. And it was like, oh, do I? Absolutely. Every fortnight I have a benediction (laughs) that I read and that we read and pray. (laughs) so um <laughs> very very fun very lord make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred let me so love where there is injury pardon where there is doubt faith where there is despair hope where there is darkness light and where there is sadness joy O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks for joining us tonight for this chapter of Credible Witness. Um, we are going to be back in three weeks rather than our usual two, just due to some scheduling issues. Um, but we're going to be jumping into chapter four advocates for the marginalized, looking at the Australian Christian Church's involvement with um, social advocacy and maybe a riot or 2 We'll wait and see, Uh, but in the meantime if you've enjoyed listening along to the podcast I do encourage you to share it with anyone who you think might be interested as well and if you'd like to join us we record each episode in community live on our Discord server on Tuesday nights before the podcast is released on Wednesday so if you want to join in ask questions as we chat Um, you can read the chapter ahead of time or you can just jump in and listen along um, as you do with the podcast either one works That's at embody.org.au slash discord. Thank you for joining us and I am going to head off and watch Survivor.
1: Go enjoy. Thanks for listening to Reading Mission, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review so more people can find us. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Every episode of Reading Mission is recorded live in our Discord server. So if you ever want to join in the live discussion and connect with other people exploring mission, justice and social change together, head to embody.org.au forward slash discord to join in. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at embody.au and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and culture. Music in the show is by Josh Woodward and we'll catch you next time and thanks heaps for listening to Reading Mission.